Read an amazing new book a few months ago. It's called The Next Economy. And here's the man who wrote it. His name is Elliot Ettenberg. Welcome, Elliot. Hi, how are you? There's no trace of a Canadian accent there, but welcome to the Commonwealth. <laughs> Another Commonwealth. <laughs> I love your book, and uh, you've got a forecast there. The next economy will arrive by 2006 and last until about 2020. Tell me yeah. what's going to drive the new economy. Well, the next economy, not the new economy. Sorry, the next, the next economy. economy. Is, is, yep. is going to be driven by the demographic realities of what a baby boomer in retirement is going to mean to the economy in North America. And it's, it's not a North American phenomenon. It's actually any industrialized nation in the world that's got a bubble in terms of its, its boomers. It's uh, true of Europe, and I would imagine it's probably true of Australia as well. Mm. Same, same percentages as America doesn't surprise me at all and, and of course we're talking about people born between 46 and 64. Most of the modern Western societies have that bubble going through their economy right now and and because this group represents such a huge portion of the population, 28%, but more importantly they represent about 50% of all of the spending that goes on in the North American economy, the fact that they're going to retire and what will happen to their mindset as they retire has got to be of concern, uh, certainly it has to be of interest, to pretty well every every uh, business in the country that deals with consumer goods. So so the driver of the next economy is the, re- the retreat of those baby boomers born between 46 and 64, the, their retreat from the marketplace. Yeah, I mean, if you think about the people that you know who are in that age group now, who are in their, say, their 60s, and you take a look at their lifestyle and you take a look at what they're doing with their life, generally what happens is, for the most part, they're downsizing. And in fact, what's happening is they're getting rid of the extra cars, they're getting rid of the extra clothing, they're getting even rid of the extra rooms that they don't need, downsizing their living space, looking for ways to make their budget balance uh, in, in a new reality for them. Now, you multiply that out times 28% of the population and 50% of, of, of the spend, and what you end up with is you end up with uh, a negative set of numbers in terms of uh, growth, in terms of GDP growth. And the question then becomes, well, how do you manage successive years of negative numbers and do so without panicking? I see um, you mentioned that the mounting evidence suggests that the baby boomers will enter their 60s, most of them, psychologically and economically exhausted and ready for retreat. Yeah, there's a lot of people who believe that the boomers will really hang on and try to maintain uh, their place in terms of their workforce. For a variety of reasons, people are saying they're going to do it to finance their lifestyle. People are going to do it because they're not going to, they don't want to lose interest in their, in their activities. I don't think any of this is going to happen. I think it's been an exhausting run for most boomers. We have to be careful because the boomer population really has three specific segments. And the older boomers, uh, the guys, like, guys and gals like me who are on the top end of this number, do have a little bit more affluence because... We got into the economy and, and we did the plays that we made in terms of the stock market, the housing market, early enough in those cycles that they actually benefited us. But the second and third groups of boomers coming up behind us didn't have the benefit of that. And for the most part, it's been an exhausting experience for many of them. And I think as they hit that retirement age, they're going to be looking for lifetime changes and lifestyle changes. And I think they're going to be trying to get themselves out of what they're doing now and trying to find ways to make their budget work in their, you know, facing with facing their new reality. So they stop spending and... Uh, uh, certainly slow it down, yeah. and they'll be looking for different kinds of spending. Well, yeah, th- so let, let's talk about the converse trend in this next economy. How will this huge generational shift, if you like, uh, what sort of an impact on, on business? 
Well, I think it'll uh, it'll have a major impact. I, you know, if you walk down any of the major shopping malls here in North America or any of the ones in Australia, about 70% of the stuff that's in there right now is really going to be obsolete for these folks. I mean, how many suits do you think a retired gentleman needs in his closet? And how many, you know, how many fancy uh, outfits do you think the average female who's retired is going to require? I mean, if you look at, at, at the kind of packaged goods and the kind of consumer goods that are being sold today in most of the major retail outlets, most of the department store type merchandise is going to be negative because it's not something that's going to be renewable in terms of the same level of expenditures in terms of household income. So as they back away from those kind of goods, uh, unfortunately, the infrastructure we've got out there supports a huge number of people who are in those kind of goods that people don't need any longer. So now, there's exceptions to this. You say in the book, the ripples from this spread through the economy. And uh, one of the impacts is goodbye intermediary, the distribution yeah. system. It's unfortunate that we're, I don't know if it's unfortunate. That's probably the wrong editorial. But what is interesting is that the vast majority of middlemen between the people who actually make things and the people who consume things represent the sellers all the way through the cycle. And nobody represents the buyer right now. And I think what's going to happen in the next economy is as this need becomes a reality, as this need to, to find money and to make your budgets actually balance themselves, consumers are going to group together and they're going to form groups together and they're going to have concierges that will be looking after their particular needs. And as a result of that, those concierges will represent for the first time the buyer and not the seller. <clears throat> and in doing so, negotiate on behalf of a whole group of people. And it sounds a little far-fetched, but it's, it's already beginning to happen in travel. It's certainly happening at the AARP, <clears throat> and it's beginning to happen more and more often where organizations are representing large, large bodies of people who have buying power and are buying on their behalf. I think this is going to continue and it's going to grow exponentially going forward. So with the benefit of the World Wide Web and other factors, uh, we've got people uh, talking about relationship. I mean, it's all going to come back to that relationship thing, isn't it? Yes, it will. It's going to be very much more important because it's going to be harder and harder to pry the dollars out of people's pockets. And I think, you know, what we're trying, and certainly in, in my consulting practice, what I'm trying to convince our clients about is that even if you make a product, you really are making a service. It's really a service that's behind the product that's the key to the whole thing. There's not enough quality uh, at the retail level now, at the interface between the consumer and the actual act of the, the transaction itself. Somebody has to take responsibility for the relationship between the brand and the customer. And I think that in the past, certainly in North America and from my trip to Australia, I think it holds true there too, a lot of manufacturing uh, facilities and companies and brands have forfeited control over their products to the retail segment, and the retail segment hasn't had the same interest in uh, maintaining that kind of integrity with their customer base, probably because they haven't used technology properly yet. Yes, ex so, exactly uh, yeah, that. I think... Yeah, and I, and I think, therefore, that if you're in the manufacturing sector, you're going to need a customer face and an interface with your end customer that makes a difference to your product and your brand. And it's got to go beyond the consumption, the physical consumption or the acquisition. It has to go a lot further into the kind of relationship and the kind of depth that they feel about products because these products are, are adding something to the quality of their life. Elliot, in uh, Chapter 5 of The Next Economy, you talk about the revenge of the baby boomers having been ignored and disrespected by the temporary high-riding geeks of Generation X. In fact, yeah. you talk about Generation Y, which is a huge... Uh, I mean, that, that is the biggest, almost as big as baby boomers in number. It's actually the, the only reason that, that, that there's some 
there's some reason to really be optimistic about this is because every every piece of economic projections we have for this generation Y shows that they are much more brand loyal and will be buying much more significantly in the marketplace than the boomers ever did. And that's why this whole thing comes popping back out again at 2020. The reason it stops is because by this point, you have to remember that the head of household spending peak takes place at the age of about 45. And when these Gen wires get up to that level of that kind of expenditure, the impact that they're going to have on the economy is going to explode. And that's really what's going to bring us from many years of negative numbers into the positive, into positive, and it will continue to be positive for many years going forward. Definition here, by the way, Generation Ys are the ones born between 77 and 94. Right. Okay. That's so right. You, you're saying uh, here are some of the challenges we in business can expect as a result of, of the revenge of the baby boomers. Service rules the roost. Customer relationships are key. You've got to delight the customer, and you've got to have what you call best customer marketing. Yeah, that's a fascinating, you know, this, this concept we're now, we've introduced it to a number of companies in North America, and it's working very, very nicely. What we do is we take the customer base, the number of customers you have, and we divide them into five equal parts, and we rank them in order of importance to the business. How much dollars do they do with you? So we have five quintiles, basically. And what we tell people is, let's just take a look at the top two quintiles, because right now your marketing program is generally covering all five quintiles the same way, whether you're using national television or print or outdoor, but most of them, you know, with the exception of the personal stuff that you're doing, which is still a small percentage of total spend, for the most part, you're treating your worst customers exactly the same way as you treat your best customers. So we're saying, don't do that. Instead, let's manage the top two quintiles, which are the top 40% of your customer base. Let's take the dollars that we've put into the fifth and fourth quintiles, which are largely wasted, and in fact, we should encourage those those people to go on to your competitors because they tend to buy you at the worst possible times when there's no margin in it, where they you've dropped your price, and they complain bitterly, and they're very tough to deal with. And not let's loyal. Forget about yep. yeah. Let's forget about those guys and gals, and and let's put our let's even double our money into the first two quintiles and see what happens. And and that's one of the shocking revelations that comes out of this whole thing. You can double the impact of your marketing budget if you cut your target group in half. Interesting. Without spending a cent more. And the impact of that, the actual dramatic impact that that has on, on a client's business is remarkable, whether it's retail or packaged goods or consumer goods or services. So it's a universal, it's a universal idea that basically will, will I think, become uh, very well accepted as, as businesses try to cope with how do you reach these people and how do you stimulate them to buy more often. Fabulous book. It's called The Next Economy. Uh, not so difficult to buy in Asia. Uh, if you're in Australia or New Zealand, you can pick it up on Amazon because it's almost impossible to get. Uh, and uh, Elliot, I'm, really interesting stuff. Great book. Well done. Elliot Ettenberg, thank you so much. And do you have a website if, if people want to cl- uh, click sure, on? Sure, they can go. It's very simple. It's www.ettenberg.com. That's dot com. Thanks, Alan. Thank you. Bye-bye.